What's going on, guys? You're listening to the Modern Day Sniper. Uh, you got Phil and Kalen here. Um, Modern Day Sniper podcast for those that are tuning in for the first time. This podcast is for the uh, Modern Day Rifleman. Just looking to elevate his craft, you know, whether he's a law enforcement sniper, military sniper, hunter, a long-range competitor, even a long-range enthusiast. Um, you know, Kalen and I, on our podcast, we talk about understanding what it means to put mindfulness behind the rifle. Um, you know, we're not just a bunch of just trigger pullers. Uh, you know, in order for us to elevate and, and uh, learn our craft and be masters of our craft, we have to lower our ego, um, you know, to just learn and evolve. So um, welcome to everyone that's tuning in for the first time. Kalen, what's up, buddy? How's it going, man? I am just getting back from a week of training in Boise, and um, it's got some stuff that's some technical stuff that's fresh in my mind, uh, the things that happened during the class and the things that I saw. So I'm excited to have this uh, this opportunity to have a conversation with you about it. Yeah, man. What What's cool is, um, man, I, I enjoy doing these with you and I can't stress that enough with uh, the people that reach out to us like, Hey, you know, uh, thanks for your podcast. It's like, dude, you know, don't, I appreciate it, but it's like, you know, it's, it's our pleasure. You know what I mean? Like you, you don't, you don't have to thank us because it's like when someone would, I think we talked about this, like when someone thanks me for my, <laughs> used to thank me for my service, it's like, <laughs> that's not necessary, you know, just cause I, I, I love what I do. Um, and I love getting the information out there. I love having these podcasts with you just cause, um, you know, it, it, it really, again, it goes back to putting that mindfulness behind the rifle. It's allowed me to engage my brain and, you know, actually think about what kind of message I want to put out there to, uh, you know, our audience and stuff like that. For sure. The, the, we, I've been getting a lot of questions on that. What, what is, what do you mean by that? What is mindfulness behind the rifle? And last episode, we kind of talked about it a little bit more. And, and I think that, that every podcast, um, I think we're going to probably try to talk a little bit about that. And I just to, just because it is a continuum, you know, we had a little conversation before we hit the record button and the whole mindfulness thing that is a continuum. And that is, that is how that's, that's how you view yourself and your skills. That's how you view uh, yourself in, in and around other people and how those two factors dictate your intentions. Um, and you know, what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And that's something that I think we, we should all always have at the forefront of our minds when we are getting ready to go train or getting ready to go shoot a match or getting ready to, to even do a dry fire session. So, uh, the mindfulness aspect is, is, uh, it's powerful. It's very, very powerful and it can definitely change your perspective on a lot of things. So, um, I think though, we are also going to start talking about more technical things because it's a lot of, that's, that's a desire that a lot of people have. And, and we also want to let you guys know that, you know, the first few episodes, it was really just intended to get you guys to know who we were and uh, give you guys a feel for like what, what it is that, that we're all about and what our intentions are surrounding this. So, um, it is going to be about technical information because precision shooting in is in it of itself is a very, very technical skill. So we're going to get you guys what you're asking for. Yeah. And you don't have to, you don't have to compete to measure your, your progress as a shooter. You know, that's one thing it's, you know, competition um, is, is a great way to measure it. But at the same time, I mean uh, just the other day I posted a video of, um, of me shooting uh, my, it was in my first precision rifle competition, but it was like my second or third uh, big one. 
uh, out in New Mexico and uh, doing a drill. And I got like 23 or, you know, just shy under 24 seconds. Um, and believe it or not, I got top 10 in that match. And then going over to Texas three years later, um, I did the same exact drill and I cut over five seconds off my time. Um, and in that match, I got 19th, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, just because I got better as a shooter, I mean, it just it just goes to show how much how much more of the game that, you know, is evolved and how much competitive the game is. But still, um, by just taking videos, I was just able to see my progression, you know what I mean, over the last three years. Um, and, you know, that's not even me working that drill every single day. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, you know, maybe I'd work it in probably once every, I don't know, two or three months, just if I remember it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, if you're not one of those guys that want to go out and compete, it's like, you know, record yourself and, you know, watch your videos and stuff like that. And, and maybe uh, Kayla and I can do a podcast on that. One of these, one of these days is, you know, understanding what to look for when you're recording yourself, when you're kind of observing yourself as a shooter, mm-hmm. um, what things to look out for, um, in between your shots or whatever the case is. So it's, it's uncomfortable. Like it's really uncomfortable to put yourself on the camera because then, you know, you're able to see it, you're able to see it all and it's clarity. The video is not going to lie. Yep. So, uh, it's important because then you can, you can really get into the minutia of what it is that you're doing and you can very, very closely critique yourself. And, um, and truly like that's from, from an instructor, from an instructor standpoint, when you're really trying to get to that next level, truly an instructor is just a coach at that point. And that coach is there, that, that coach isn't that you, you're, you're an accountability partner. And so the coach is just there to, to reiterate. It, it might take you 50 times that guy standing over the top of you saying, Nope, do it again. Nope. Do it again. You did it again. Let's do it again. And when you're trying to reinforce new habits or, or even worse, if you're trying to break old habits, and, tr- and, and getting yourself to do something different, especially after you've had, you know, 10,000 repetitions of something that, that you want to tweak. That is what that coach is there for. And it, it can sometimes be uh, a stickler. You know, you're just like, man, damn this guy. Like he's just constantly on me. It's like, well, that's what we're there for. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And then if you don't have that coach, then the video is going to be your best your best tool in the absence of a coach. As long as you're being attentive or attentive to the details and holding yourself accountable. Oh, absolutely. So, um, the one thing that we did want to talk about, um, that we, and I think like we could try to start formulating a format to this and it's a balance too, because, uh, we, we, we talked about, you know, try to establish a format and, uh, I want to make sure that, that we adhere to a flow of a conversation, but at the same time, like people expect certain things and we, and we get that because you guys, like it's you we're doing this for you. We're doing this for the listeners. We're not doing this for us. So, um, maybe talk a little bit about some gear, uh, at the very beginning of the podcast, have a little, little discussion on mindset and mindfulness and then kind of get more into the potatoes or the meat and potatoes of the technical aspect of things. I think that's probably, probably uh, what everybody's looking for. Don't you think? Oh yeah. I, I think something to, to, to keep in, it's something we talked about actually when we instructed together down in, um, at, uh, the gunworks competition train up is that you and I are usually at the range every day, you know, Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. Um, mm-hmm 
at least right now I'm not just cause it's a uh, super cold outside and I'm just being a little bitch, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've been doing a lot of admin work. Right. Uh, that's my excuses at least. But, um, you know, we're, we're usually at the range, um, Monday through Friday and where most people are looking forward toward the range, right. Uh, to go on either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you know, after a long week of work, uh, just, to, again, get their mind right or whatever, or because it's their hobby. And, uh, you know, one thing that I always know is every week of training Monday through Friday, there's always one thing that always sticks out. Even if it's the same thing for that class or for even my, my week of training, Hey, this is one thing that I worked on. You know what I mean? So I definitely know that you and I are going to kind of talk about what one thing that you saw this past week with, uh, your, uh, your class in Idaho. Yep. Um, and then coming off of the podcast that I did with Frank and, uh, Nick Bazone, uh, Gunny Bazone, uh, over there on mountain sniper, um, a, a big thing we talked about in our podcast toward the very end was, uh, tripods and the evolution of tripods and how, you know, I mean, I started, you, you started off with dowel rods. I yeah. was fortunate to start off with a, a Manfrotto tripod, but you know, before the hog saddle, it was like PVC pipe and isomat, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, you know, we had, uh, that'll actually be a great segue into the first, into that first discussion on gear. Um, cause I got a new tripod from really right stuff and I, I want to talk to people about it cause it's, uh, it's more of a, a backcountry hunting oriented tripod. And so like, I, I distinctly remember having, um, I had Owen Mulder come out to Washington with the staff of uh, third special operations training group from Okinawa the urban sniper course and they came out for an instructor development package. I want to say it was like way, it was like 2000, 2009 or something like that, 2010. And we were, our focus was to discuss, um, uh, obstacle clearance and tripods and how to get more out of a tripod and how to, how to, how to create a better curriculum of, of instructional points out of a tripod. And, and that was fantastic. We spent like two weeks doing nothing but shooting off of tripods. And so those tripods that those guys were using were very heavy, um, aluminum, uh, all aluminum tripods that were built and designed for uh, survey equipment. So very, very stout, very sturdy, not weight conscious, more along the lines of, Hey, you know, from an urban perspective, you're not, really going to move very far, meaning you're not going to do like a long range reconnaissance patrol or a recce mission. Um, so, but even then they're super sturdy, but it's just, it wasn't, they were not very easily man portable. They were very, very heavy in comparison to what we have today. Like I just, uh, like checking my, my, uh, T my T 34 from, uh, um, from really right stuff with the anvil 30 head, throwing a rifle on there. It's like, it's so rock solid. It's, it's ridiculous, right? It doesn't, it doesn't move. Um, whereas like back then we didn't have hog saddles and we were still using, you know, um, homemade saddle material and stuff like that from Home Depot, just like you and Nick talked about in your podcast. And if you guys haven't listened to that podcast yet, check out, um, check that out from, uh, the everyday sniper with Frank, Phil and, uh, and, uh, Gunny Nick Bazone. That was a fantastic episode. I listened to it on my way home from Boise. Um, and it was perfect because it was so, everything was fresh in my mind. I just left that day of training and got back on the road to head home. So, um, the tripod stuff is, is, it's amazing. It's come so far. Um, and so the same thing with, with the techniques of shooting off of a tripod, 
we've been able to get a little bit farther down the road because of the stability of the tripods themselves. Like I just got this ascent, um, the ascend tripod from really right stuff. And, and they had it on display at shot show this year at the booth. If you guys managed to get down there and check it out, uh, if you were at shot show, if not, the ascend is a very minimalistic lightweight, uh, backcountry hunting oriented tripod that has like a very low profile, but extremely strong and stout ball head. Uh, which gives you the ability to uh, pan both vertically and horizontally, uh, which is something that that I look for uh, in a in a backcountry hunting tripod. And it has an extendable neck column, which um, you know, as you guys have most likely seen, we've been getting away from the extendable neck columns or the center columns because it is a point of instability, uh, especially for some for to shoot off of. And that was the big factor with the Manfrotto's, right? The Manfrotto's were like you know, that neck column and the joint in the neck was always the weak point, uh, along with the, 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 the pistol grip ball head thing that once that thing got dirty, it was just, just trashed. So this new, this new, uh, ascend tripod is, I think with a little bit of tweaks, it is going to be the go-to backcountry solution for hunting. And, um, I threw my, my gunworks Magnus on there and, uh, and locked it into place with the neck extended. And really it's very difficult to see a discernible um, difference in accuracy or, or, or stability, I should say, as long as you have a natural point of aim, right? That, that little tripod supporting a, you know, a 10 pound hunting rifle, not a problem. And I can do it from the standing position. So in a hunting scenario, man, that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's what I'm looking for in a, in a hunting tripod. So and it's uh, it's relatively uh, it's relatively lightweight. The little the center column is aluminum, so it adds a little bit of weight to it. But um, I'm willing to carry that and not have a problem with it for the capability that it gives me. I always try to do the best I can to to not always seem like I'm I'm throwing out shameless plugs. But um, you know I I mean I've had several tripods you know in the cyber community moving up to my way to now really ride stuff, and I mean. I mean, you're, you're literally paying for the difference. There's a shooting yeah. off a tripod and there's a shooting off a really right stuff. And, and I get it. There's not people that can afford that stuff. And it's like, all right, well, you know, you, you don't need a really right stuff to be competitive or if you're just a law enforcement guy, um, you know, so there's ways to, to find stability. Um, you were talking about, uh, you know, the ball heads and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, Pete, can I, he, he worded it fantastically one day. Um, he called it mechanical wobble. And I was like, yeah, man, that's, that's perfect. freaking great. Um, and it's when you start stacking essentially a ball head on top of another attachment on top mm -hmm. of another attachment. Right. Right. So you're so far away from that. Where was it? Where would it be like the top of the apex? Right. Right. Where now you're applying so much leverage and then you just see that, you know, with any, any movement of your body weight, it's translating into the, the tripod, which is now moving into your scope. Yes. Right. So me, when I, when I teach, yeah, go ahead. Fasteners it's fasteners, right? Yep. Yeah. It, yeah. It's the fasteners like the, 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 um, the Manfrotto fastener or even like the Arca picket, you know, Arca, uh, that you're putting on top of, uh, you know, or the bottom of a hog saddle. Mm -hmm. So what I usually tell uh, shooters that, you know, don't have a really right stuff or whatever, it's like, well, what I would do, what I, what I usually do is I, I remove that ball head completely unless I was spotting, you know what I mean? So if this is a, a, a tripod dedicated strictly for shooting, that uh, hog saddle is going straight on to the top of the uh, mounting device of that tripod Sure, yep. to completely get rid of. Um, and, you know, depending on the tripod, sometimes uh, that 
the uh, mount or the uh, the head wouldn't move in a circle, which kind of sucked because once you spun that thing on, wherever the um, wherever the uh, clamping device on the hog saddle would be like left or right. So that's one thing that I liked about. Uh, I think it was a uh, it was the uh, hog saddles Pico 311 tripod. Is you can you can rotate that center column to yes. where. Um, okay, I want to make sure that I have the clamping device on my left as a right-handed shooter so that I always have positive control of the, the gun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these small things to keep in mind with uh, with tripod employment that, again, is another podcast. I was telling people, of itself, like, I was yeah. like, podcast, or like, the tripod class is a whole class in itself. Yeah, for uh, sure. How to, how to employ it. But those are some real quick things. If you guys are listening that do have tripods, you know, that maybe not have the ability to afford a really right stuff. If you do, or if you're looking to invest in a tripod, I highly recommend, you know, um, you know, I'm a firm believer of buying once, crying once. Um, yeah. and you know, all the tripods that I have now, like, or, or, or like I looked at, I look at them inside my, um, my, my gear locker and I'm like, man, like that's a lot of money that I can't, and they, they're sentimental value to me, right? I'm not going to mm-hmm. go ahead and um, sell them, but if I wanted to sell them, I'm not going to get any money out of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, not with what I paid for them and put into them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've still, I, I have, unfortunately I don't have my, um, I, I don't have my original wooden dowel rod tripods. They've, they've long been, they've gone someplace. I can't remember where they've gone, but um, you know, I've got my original Manfrotto that I started shooting off of. Uh, it's still sitting in the shop and, um, I, I use that as an example of the progression of tripods from now, from then until now. So, um, yeah, I'm going to do, I'll do, uh, some, some videos on that new Ascend tripod and, uh, uh, get the word out there. Cause I think that's going to be a really, uh, a very well received lightweight, uh, hunting oriented tripod for sure. So, um, we got a bunch of topics here that uh, that we decided that we wanted to discuss in this podcast, um, and some of them stem from the the course that uh, that I just taught last week for uh, for the Marines of um, uh, Third Force Reconnaissance Company out of Mobile, Alabama, and uh, great group of guys, fantastic course, five days of training, um, you know peeling the seal on the new mark 13 mod sevens which was awesome they got a ton of trigger time on those guns and learned a lot and so one of the big things of this course was one of the one of the requirements was they wanted to get um time on the the new tremor three reticle and the night force attacker scope and with that being said um i spun myself up on the t3 uh, before before I went out, I called Leupold and asked for um, a loaner scope that had a T3 in it, and uh, I took it out to the range for you know, several several days before teaching the course to make sure I was completely familiar inside and out with it, and not only familiar with it, but like then how do you teach it? Because that's really what's that's really what we want to dive into is like how do you how do you teach somebody how to use that reticle? Number one, that's that's never seen it before. Um, and number two, that's, that's only, that's, that's all their experience pretty much has been on a gen two mil dot reticle, you know, like the, like the TMR or the reticle that is inside the, uh, Schmidt and Bender 8541. So, um, it, it actually ended up turning into, uh, 
not a challenge, but definitely everybody learns things in a different way and you have to be able to communicate things in a different way. And so what I decided to do was break things down into like a worksheet and a checklist because I'm a very visual learner. I like to see, I like to see numbers in front of me in order for me to identify a pattern. And that's really all you're doing um, with this, uh, with a couple of features in that reticle is you're trying to identify patterns. And so once it's almost like, uh, you know, people learn in three different ways, uh, visual, audio, and kinesthetic, meaning touch and through motion or movement. Um, and so I like to try to incorporate all three of those learning styles into a period of instruction, right? So we talk about it. Um, you know, the students hear the information. I want them to write the information, which is part of that kinesthetic, uh, process. And then I also want them to speak it as well and re and regurgitate, not regurgitate, um, but like, uh, replay what's going on with the scenario. And with the T3 reticle, it's, um, it can be complex to get somebody to understand it that, uh, that's only been living on a standard, uh, you know, TMR type reticle. So what we found was, um, it's really just mills. It's mills and it's largely being able to interpret your data. And that is a big thing J just to, to get people to understand what, what about all of this data, meaning like all of your drops, what about your wind? Um, what data are we looking for from the wind column? And to be honest, like the kestrels will not, the, the kestrels drawing the data from the kestrel there's easier ways of doing that because the Kestrel only provides you limited amount of information. Um, it only provides you really mills worth of drop where, or mills worth of wind, where sometimes I also, also like to see, have students see what are the inch values because that sometimes gives a better perspective when, cause we think in inches, like our brain doesn't think in mills, especially when we're trying to get somebody to learn this reticle. And so we look at it and say, okay, well, I want you to see how much your bullets moving in inches just to give you some perspective. It's funny you say that is I, I teach, I teach an MOA, right? So mm -hmm. um, I, I'm uh, what I call bilingual. I always tell that, you know, all, that, all, all my uh, audience and followers and stuff like that. Cause they always ask me the, the main question I get is MOA versus mill, which one, you know, which one do you prefer? It's like, Man, honestly, if, if you're new into shooting, it's like MOA, honestly, like, and, and the reason why I say that is because your brain, like you just said, we all think in inches, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, you can convert, I get it. You can convert uh, mill radians inches, but there's so many, there's an extra step in there that, that, um, that constant is like, well, then people are going to ask, well, where'd that constant come from? Right. Mm -hmm. Where versus when you're teaching MOA in inches it's right. a lot easier, right? It's, it's clear cut and simple. Um, but you know, when the tremor three first came out, I remember, um, I didn't, I, I just say didn't come out when, uh, when the Marine Corps sniper community found out that we were acquiring, acquiring the, uh, tremor three. I remember a post in our, uh, Facebook page that uh, we're part of, and, uh, you know, it was like 50, 50, 50 of us were excited for it. And the other 50 that have been instructors realized how much of a nightmare it was going to be because a lot of times people don't understand. It's like, wow, now I have to teach this into my curriculum with already, you know, complex things. Not only that, it's like, 
you know, again, going back to like how many of, of, of snipers are actually truly honing their craft on a day-to-day basis. You That's know what I mean? That's a big one. That's it's a like, big one. You know, it's like, okay, you've got like these three or four, a handful of subject matter experts that are like, like you did. Oh, I got the piece of, I got my tremor three because I don't know about it. I, I, I learned upon it just before I could teach it. How many of you got, you got how many uh, instructors do you think are actually doing that? Yeah. Mm, not, not too many. Right. Yeah. So big Marine Corps perspective, you know, it's, it's hard to push information like that. You know, when something's new, just like when you guys switched over from the Unertal, um, to, uh, to the Schmidt mentor, you know, uh, you know, again, 50, 50 makes reviews. So, mm-hmm. uh, I guess where I'm going with this is, um, the evolution of reticles is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but from an, an instructor's training standpoint, it's kind of a nightmare, especially for those that are just getting into the, um, the sport uh, of long range shooting, right. To understand that MOA minutes, minutes of angle and mill radians, all it is, it's an angle. It's an angular unit of measure, right? Just how yards is to meters MOA is to uh, or yeah, yards is MOA similar radians. So, uh, the best way I can put it in perspective because I teach an MOA is that, um, when you, everyone knows degrees, right? So if you look at your barrel pointing completely level zeroed out and you point that thing straight up 90 in the air, that's 90 degrees. Obviously we're not operating in that space, but that's your degree, right? Mm-hmm. When you shoot out to a thousand yards with a six, five Creedmoor, it's about 29 and a half minutes of angle. And we know that there's 60 minutes in an angle. So we, in, in order to shoot a thousand yards, this even, this even goes from the radians. We're operating in less than a half a degree of space with your barrel angle. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that, but it doesn't look that when you're looking down range, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Um, you know, I think, you know, everyone just has to be conscious of, you know, um, you know, that uh, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you, you brought it up. Like, okay, I want to, I want these guys to see how, how it moves in inches, because like you said, we're, we're thinking in inches, how much is, you know, one mile an hour going to move my bullet. That's right. When it comes to wind calling, man, that is, um, and, and honestly, the only way, and, and I'm a huge proponent. If you follow me, if you follow Kalen and I, we're always talking about hard data, you know, Every chance I get, I'm always writing down my data from zero to a thousand yards, right? Uh, religiously on a note card. And mm-hmm. because of that, like I was, I'm able to see even with sometimes I have a 5,000 foot difference in elevation, you know, from zero to four or 500 yards, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? you, see, you see it all the time. It matches, man. There's people that are spinning their kestrels all over the place. And then you hear, oh, density altitude changed 250 feet. And you're just like, dude. Yeah, just, your target's at 400 yards. Yeah, like, your oh, target's missing, over, at, missing over the top. And it's a, or yeah, I'm chasing dope. And it's like, no, you're not. You're, you're not chasing dope. I'm, it's all in your brain because none of it matters. Yeah. Um, there's a, like, if, with regard to density altitude, I'd have to pull it out, but it's something ridiculous. Like if I wanted to hit a clay pigeon, if I wanted to hit a clay pigeon at 800 meters, um, I would need, uh, I would need to take accuracy of temperature within, um, 10 degrees, right? 10 degrees. Like if you start individually breaking those down and you can do that on your solver, if you want to see for yourself, 
what this stuff actually does, you can isolate all of these atmospheric variables and say, oh, okay, well, what happens if, what does happen with inches of drop when I increase my temperature every 10 degrees at X amount of distance? That's the only way that you're going to be able to identify what that is. Stop taking it, stop taking it as a rule of thumb because the internet says so. Only believe it after you've seen it with your own eyes and you are the one that actually ran the numbers yourself. Because yeah, trust, but, trust but verify. Yeah, trust but verify because instead of now now you're all worried about this 250 foot of density altitude change or even even a thousand feet. It doesn't matter. Like you run the numbers, you'll see it yourself. It doesn't matter. Um unless you're trying to hit really, really, really small targets like a clay pigeon, you know, like that's a, that's a pretty small target. So, um, don't get so wrapped around the axle of that stuff. Spend more time, spend more time thinking about how you're going to build your shooting position and what the wind is doing. Okay. So, uh, before we dive into this a little bit more, Caitlin, I know that, uh, for our newer listeners and audience that are probably listening to this for the first, first time and trying to get into the long range shooting, um, what kind of solvers do you recommend usually your students? Um, okay. We, what, 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 uh, what, um, so my question is what kind of solvers do you recommend and what solvers do you have experience with? Okay. So first and foremost, what solvers do I recommend? Uh, right now my go to my go to ballistic solver is the Hornady four degrees of freedom. Yep. Uh, and the reason that I use the Hornady four degrees of freedom solver is it's simplicity. The accuracy of the drag curves of the drag versus mock curves are far superior and they require virtually almost none, if not a tad bit. I've never seen, unless there is some sort of other variable that is not accurately inputted into the program, if I have a good tracking scope, I have a, a solid muzzle velocity, an accurate atmospheric data, and an accurate range to the target, I'm never, ever more than 0.3 or 0.2 mils variation in height on the target. And that is all, that's like out at transonic. And the other cool thing about the Hornady program is you don't have to worry about transonic flight anymore because those drag curves are all calculated with a radar. Uh, and that radar is actually identifying, think about, think about the, the Hornady four degree of freedom or any radar drag drag, uh, radar derived drag curve as a video of the, of the bullets performance as it flies through the air. Hornady is able to map for a 30 caliber bullet. They're able to map that out to 23 to 2,500 yards, depending on atmospheric conditions. And, and that all affects like the radar's ability to, to have accurate returns. But if all things are good, they can track that projectile for 23 to 2,500 yards, a 30 caliber projectile. And so that, that data is, is real like that is not a hypothetical that is not a mathematical approximation that is real data that's been gathered by a radar and so um the 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 drag curve will change based upon little little variations in your system whether or not you have you know what kind of rifling profile you have what kind of uh, muzzle device that you have what kind of powder you're running and all of that contributes to the bullet's drag and they're also able with the Ford off program, they're also able to more accurately model um, the fourth degree of freedom 
which X, Y, Z axes, then we add another fourth degree of freedom to that, which also is accounting for um, each of those other axes, there are axes along with that. So they're able to map out very accurate uh, measurements of aerodynamic jump, gyroscopic stability, and um, all of the earth-based effects like Edvos, um, Coriolis force, and all that stuff. Uh, you guys, I can't see it, but I'm smiling right now because um, <laughs> uh, I, I understood everything that you talked about. Um, but uh, you, 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 uh, you talk about it a little bit more in depth than I do. I'm a Ford off guy too. So um, I think, I think it was you that got me in the, in the Ford off, um, you know, when it first came out. And so I downloaded my phone, which is free, by the way, uh, the Ford off app is free. And now that's all I use religiously. That's all I teach. Um, just because not only it's accurate, but how user friendly it is. That's another big uh, one. It is, it is super user friendly. I mean, hopefully you guys are listening to this and downloading it immediately. Um, if you haven't done so already, um, and you know, just go to the Ford off calculator, hit general calculator, you know, create an account. Cause what you can do when you create an account, especially if you have multiple devices, uh, like me, I've got like my selfie camera, my phone scope camera, right? <laughs> but, uh, how many how many cell phones do you have? Like three? I only got two. I only got two. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, but um, you know, I once I created my profile, it's like okay, well, if I want to push data into my other phone because I want to use my other phone for you know um, my ballistic app while I'm recording myself or whatever, um, I have all that information on there as well. Um, so you know, when you create a profile, that's what happens. But again, it's free. And then, um, you know, like you said, get a good accurate muzzle velocity, whether using a magneto speed or a lab radar, um, uh, you know, and, uh, lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, select your bullet. Um, you know, and that's, the, that's the thing is, is, um, there's, a, there's a lot of great factory ammunition out there. Um, you know, at Gunworks, we use a lot of Hornady, so I'm partial to Hornady. Um, and, and I mean, it, the results speak for itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're able to hit, you know, an MOA target, I'd say nine out of 10 times with the 140 grain ELDMs. Yeah. Those are, those are fantastic bullets. And I've, I've, I've gone to matches, you know, two day national level matches and hung with the top 10 easily with factory ammo. Um, I, I'm, I'm of the point now where it's like with, with the Ford off program, I am confident enough that, I can show up to an event and not even prove the data, like not even prove it. I can, I can, I can put a bullet in that program. I can get a muzzle velocity, validate the trajectory at distance and be totally happy with it. And yeah. like, no, like I can go from getting a gun zeroed to accurate trajectory information in 20 rounds. Yep. Um, yeah, so sorry, I know, I know I'm taking us off topic here because we were talking about reticles, but uh, I just we'll wanted get back to, to our, yeah, our audience to, to figure out, okay, well, what are they using when we start talking about our next topic, mm -hmm. um, in, in, in reticles and, and our data is how, how we're extrapolating this data. Um, so, you know, if, if you're new and you're trying to figure out what we're talking about, you know, download the Hornady Ford off, plug all your information in, right. And then, uh, at the very bottom right of the main HUD, you should have a, um, it looks like a little uh, graph. A little red box. Yeah, yeah, a little red box. And 
Um, once you click on that, it'll tell you, okay, what your maximum range is and what interval table you want it at. So, you know, and, and start off slow, let's do hundred yards, let's say out to, you know, a thousand yards. Okay. So now you've got data from zero all the way up to a thousand, uh, with that specific bullet. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yep. <clears throat> this kind of dives into, Hey, writing down your data so that, you know, after you write it down so many times, what do you start to, what are you starting to do? Remember, remember your data, especially memory. if you, yeah, especially if you only have one gun, you know what I mean? It's hard for guys like myself and Kalen uh, or, you know, other shooters out there that have multiple calibers. Cause you know, I've got, you know, six Creed more, six, five Creed more, six, five PRC, uh, 28 Nozzler, um, you know, 308. It's like, I've got all these bullets in my head. It's, it's, I know my 308, like the back of my hand, but you know, as you talk about a six, five Creed more, especially at different multiple velocities, um, it, it gets a little tough, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Well then, then we also have students that show up with all kinds of, of, yep. of random cartridges, random bullets. And, you know, I've, I've listened to people that subscribe to, you know, well, I have to learn this bullet and I disagree with that. Like the data is telling you everything that you need to know about that bullet. It's telling you exactly what's going to happen. Um, the bullet is not, there's not going to be, there are no anomalies. It's not going to just magically do something. Um, that is un that is not predicted, and so I like if I transition to a new bullet and the, and the and I do my I do my calculations and I figure out okay this is this gun is a six mile an hour gun for this particular atmospheric condition. That's that is what it is. Like you you're not going to see any kind of crazy weird anomalies with it. It is what it is. So, so let's, big, yeah, let's, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's roll right into what, what that six mile an hour gun means. Yeah. So, um, what, what was, what I needed to do with this group of Marines was to get them to understand what the data was like, how to interpret the data. Right. So we ran all the numbers, we got their Kestrel set up because that is their issued piece of gear. They obviously need to understand how to use that Kestrel. So we got those things set up. We got them. We got them dialed in, and we just before we even went out to the range, we just pu- plugged in some hypothetical data and said, "Hey, these guns are going to be shooting about twenty nine hundred feet a second, give or take, you know, hundred feet a second here and there." But I wanted everybody on the same sheet of music, so that way we could go through the data, and then we set up the exact same profile into the Hornady Fordoff solver, um, and so we bounced back and forth between those two solvers. And, and to answer your question back again, I didn't get to it. What are the other solvers that I'm familiar with and what have I worked with in the past? Obviously, um, the applied ballistics software, uh, is, is one of the big names out there. Um, it's a great solver. I use it. It's a great solver. Yeah. It's, it's a great solver. Um, the, the, uh, the fact is though that like, and I'm just going to like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. You're either going to pay 40 bucks for that app or you can get the Hornady solver for free. The choice well, is yours. So the, the way I, well, for me, the way I put it is, is I'm always teaching newer shooters, right? I know how to use AB Kestrel. Um, right. I know that thing inside and out. I know how to tweak it to, to, to make it work. Mm-hmm. But now it, it, I don't have enough time to explain that to yeah. a newer shooter of why I'm doing this to make this work. Yes, right? exactly. Uh, it's so much easier with the Ford off because of how user friendly it is to, yep. you know, um, get them to, you know, uh, shoot out to 13, 1400 yards, however far we shoot out to that, that week. Yeah. I've, I've got them all, man. I've got, um, the, the really, uh, before all these came along, the JBM, the JBM software JBM, online, yeah. Um, and then the ballistic AE utilizes that same software. Um, 
uh, Shooter. For a long time, um, I used Shooter, which utilizes the same algorithms um, to an extent, not all of the same algorithms, but mostly the same algorithms as like the applied ballistic. It's all a point mass solver. And what that means is um, it's uh, it's just a, it's a scientific term to discuss how uh, the mathematics are working to model that projectile's trajectory. And we are definitely going to do a podcast on ballistics, man, because um, it's, remember we, we started talking about progression without forgetting where you came from. Everybody right now, unless, unless you are, unless you take a personal interest in external ballistics, I guarantee if I put 10 shooters in front of me, maybe one could tell me the difference between a G7 drag curve and a G1 drag curve. Um, maybe one could tell me the difference between a barometric pressure and an absolute pressure and which one that they should use in their, in their solver. These are critical pieces of information that you guys need to know and, and not only know, but like be able to explain it to show that, that you've retained it or your understanding of it or your understanding of it. Exactly. Yep. So, um, that was one of the very first things that we did. Now the reticle getting back to the T3 reticle, there are two features in that reticle that, that separate it from everything else. There is the speed shooting formula that also known as the 12 inch drill. And then there is the wind dots and those wind dots are there. Um, for me that that reticle is not my style like i it's very very difficult for me to use because um the wind dots are a distraction for me and i can do i'm far faster and far more efficient with just knowing the mile an hour of my gun um but i do believe that you know that reticle was created to make it extremely easy to teach a new shooter with a minimal amount of training time and a minimal amount of experience and make them an effective um, sniper on the battlefield. Do I have my reservations about that? Yes, absolutely. Because a lot of those guys, a lot of these dudes after five days, they were just like, meh, nah, not really my thing either. Like I can do, I can do just the same thing with my SAS and my, or I'm sorry guys, the SAS is the, uh, the uh, M110, which is the Knight's Armament. 308 gas gun that the Marine Corps has issued. And so they're like, Hey, you know, really once you learn, once, once we taught them the, the mile per hour of the rifle and how to figure that out, they looked at it and they were like, yeah, we don't really need those wind dots anymore. It's like, yeah, I know it's, it's a lot more simple that way. So we talked about first how to figure out the mile per hour of your rifle. And that was what I figured out to be like the very first step in how to teach calibration of the wind dots. And so figuring out the mile per hour value of your rifle is extremely simple, but it requires you to be able to identify patterns in your rifle. And we do this by figuring out a rough wind value of a constant. And what that would mean is say, okay, for a five mile an hour wind, I want to see how how many tenths of mills a five mile an hour wind is going to require compensation for with my rifle at a specific density altitude condition. And so you can take it, you know, typically speaking, um, we hear a lot of times, well, you take the G one BC and the first number of that G one BC is the wind speed in miles an hour. And that's not always the case. The best way to do this is just to run the numbers and identify the patterns. 
And so what I did is I built a worksheet and I have three columns on that worksheet. Wind test speed number one, wind test speed number two, and wind test speed number three. You start at a low wind speed, say like four miles an hour. Then we put one at five miles an hour and then six miles per hour. What you're going to do is you set up that four mile an hour wind speed from 270 degrees and you want to look at this without spin drift. So in a Kestrel, you're either going to turn your spin drift off or on the Hornady Ford off app, you're going to look at the column that says wind drift, not total wind. Wind drift will have just your wind drift without spin drift included into it. And the wind speed has to be, or the wind direction has to be coming from the 270 degrees or the nine o'clock position, which would also be a left to right wind. And what you're going to do is you just, every hundred meters or every hundred yards, whichever unit of measure you're working in, you write down the wind call for that wind speed from 200 all the way on out to 1200. And what you're going to do that for four miles an hour, then you're going to go to the next column. You're going to do it for five miles an hour. Then the next column, you're going to do it for six miles an hour. What you're looking for is the wind hold value in mills to equal the range in hundreds of yards as an example. So if I am shooting at a target at 500 meters away with a five mile an hour wind full value, that would mean I need to compensate 0.5 mils. And that is linear, which means I can, I can stack that and say, okay, well, if it's a 10 mile an hour full value wind, I have to hold one mil. And if I'm at 700 meters, a five mile an hour wind is going to equal 0.7 mils of compensation. Does that make sense to you, Phil? Am I, am I, am I no, spitting that yeah, out the right yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, I'm tracking. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I think, um, no, that, that, that's absolutely right. You know, you're, you're essentially what you're finding is your, um, your, your distance is going to be in a 10th of a wind call essentially. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So like if my, tar like you said, if my target's at 600 yards, my wind call should be 0.6, yes. you know? Um, and now that same thing, if he goes up to, let's say 650 yards, you know, then you have to make the, you know, uh, for you personally, it's like, well, do I round up or round down at that point? Yeah. Usually I, I'll, I'll start to round up after 650, you know, so if it's 650, I'll just do a 0.7, but if it's, you know, 640, guess what? I'm still using a 0.6. Yeah. And you and when you guys, the reason that I had that I, that I developed that little worksheet, um, was number one, I, like I said, I'm a visual learner and, mm -hmm. um, it's a lot easier for me to pick up patterns when I see all the numbers in front of me. Yep. And so, um, the other part of this is you're going to identify a threshold and that threshold is going to be a distance to your target. So as an example, um, based upon your density altitude situation, uh, like we were working at a density altitude of about 5,000 feet where we were at in Boise. So those guys identified that, Hey, at 800 meters with their Mark 13s, that wind mile per hour value for five miles an hour, it, it falls off. And I started to have to add a 10th of a mil to all of my, all of my wind corrections. So at eight, it, it becomes a plus one. Yes. And, and so that's going to change that, that threshold is going to change based upon all different factors, external ballistics, which means, you know, what kind of bullet are you shooting and how efficient is it penetrating the air? Um, the range to the target and the density altitude condition. So, 
you can run these numbers yourself and you can find out and like, you know, Phil and I, that's how we communicate wind speeds. Mm-hmm. I don't think about wind speeds in mills anymore. I think about wind speeds in mile per hour. Mile per hour. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's one thing going to the competition setting when you and I first ran our first competition, one thing that was different, our communication amongst the rest of the guys in our squad is we were talking miles per hour, like, Hey, w- yeah. w- what mile per hour? Cause we knew, you know, even though him and I, you were, we were both running six, five PRCs, right? Yep. For that for Doug's match. Yep. Um, you know, even though him and I were in the same exact muzzle velocity and everything, um, we were in the same squad. As soon as we came off the line, we were it was like, Hey, I was using my, you know, six mile an hour here or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because we knew that I think we had Mike and uh, Keely in our squad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were trying to help them out as well as understanding, okay, because they were shooting different bullets. Uh, we wanted to make sure they were using that mile per hour wind call as well. Because again, when you're in a squad with, you know, this goes to our competitive shooters, you know, if you're in a squad with a bunch of other guys, you know, everyone's running different bullets and stuff like that. But mile per hour is, is absolute, right? Yep. Um, you know, that is a, that is something that, uh, we can all, uh, revert back to. And I mean, even, even in the, uh, sniper community, um, you know, when you guys are, you know, on the gun and stuff like that, if you got a, uh, 300 wind mag up and you got a SAS up, well, guess what? I mean, both those are going to be two different, way two different wind calls. Mm-hmm. Were they two different wind calls? Uh, yeah. This weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you're talking in mile per hour, you know, both of you guys are essentially, you know, uh, talking the same, uh, same shit music. Yeah, we had some, um, obviously most of the sasses were four mile on our guns. Yep. Um, the, uh, and some of the wind mags were, were five mile an hour guns and, uh, most of them were five mile an hour guns. We had a couple of sixes that were, that were up above 3000 feet a second. Um, but most everybody was cruising around, you know, 2950 somewhere in there with the three hundreds. And then a couple of the guns sped up to like 3050, 3075, somewhere in there. So I like um, my six creed, my six creed, uh, my competition gun, I like 31 on free per second at, mm-hmm. uh, 6,000 feet, um, is a seven mile an hour gun. Yep. Right. So, yep. you know, um, the factors that, you know, go in, like Kalen was talking about the factors that go into what makes that gun, right is not only uh you know your bullet your speed uh but density altitude as well yeah Um, and you're gonna notice like like my hunting rifle my seven som that's a nine mile an hour gun at like eight thousand da because that's typically where i'm gonna be is up in that eight to nine thousand foot density altitude condition especially for the earlier hunts it's still hot we're still we're high in the mountains and it's still pretty warm outside. So that bullet is going to be extremely efficient flying through the air. And you'll notice that obviously if we have a faster wind speed, the threshold is also going to be deeper in distance, yep. meaning that constant is going to work farther out yep. for a specific value. Um, and so like we got these guys to figure that out and, and, and you could see the glazed over look and, you know, a lot of, a lot of the numbers are getting thrown at them and, you know, uh, they, they're, it's kind of like grease in the, grease in the wheels a little bit, grease in the gears a little bit, because we have to work into this in a, in a very, um, pointed way. So that way we're not losing people. Cause you can't, if you can't understand this concept, well, now we've got to calibrate the wind dots in the tremor three reticle. So we have to understand this core concept first, before we move on to calibrating the wind dots. Calibrating the wind dots, you're doing exactly the same thing that we just did with the mile per hour, only you're utilizing a specific set of dots in the, in the reticle. And as an example, um, uh, the, 
uh, Horace Vision recommends using four mils of elevation to uh, calibrate wind dots because that's the median distance of wind dots. You start running out of wind dots at 10 mils. So use four mils and you say, okay, at four mils, what is my dope for my particular gun? Well, most of these guys, that's about, for those guys, it was like 630 meters. So, okay, so what is my dope? What is my wind call at 630 meters for a six mile an hour wind? That very first wind dot on the Tremor 3 reticle is 0.55 mils or something that fast. It's like 0.5 something mils. Um, and you are going to manipulate your wind speed until a specific wind speed equates to 0.5 mils or very close to that at four mils of elevation. Does that make sense? Yep. So once you identify that, you say, okay, well, what is my wind speed at 10 miles an hour? Because that's your second dot. If it happens to be a five mile an hour constant, if it's a six mile an hour dot, well, then the second dot is going to be 12 miles an hour. And you just, all you're doing right now is just checking your values and saying, okay, is this linear? Um, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's going to be, you know, a 10th of a mil off, um, and more than a 10th of a mil off at that second wind dot means that you have to either back down a mile an hour or add a mile an hour to the wind dot. So it's either going to be a six mile an hour or a seven mile an hour dot based upon what your numbers are. And once you validate that, then all the rest of the dots, they're, they're pre-positioned, um, in a linear fashion based upon uh, ballistic value, right? So if you calibrate all those dots, then everything should line up. Um, they can be pretty quick for some people that don't really understand. But even then I, I was constantly asking the guys, Hey, what are you finding yourself using? Are you finding yourself using tenths of mils or are you finding yourself using the wind dots? And believe it or not, after like the third day, most of these guys were like, yeah, I'm, I'm just running miles an hour and tenths of mils because the dots are fairly obtrusive. Um, they can actually get in your way and it just, it's most of the people, they're not really digging it. And that's, that's fine. As long I don't care, as long as you understand what is actually going on and I can identify what what wind speed value equates to it in tenths of mils. The other thing to be aware of too, guys, and that, that tremor three reticle, as soon as you dial an elevation, those dots do not work. And can you calculate how they work? Yes, you can, but it's not even in my personal opinion, it's not even worth it because it's too complex in a, in a, in an actual gunfight that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm glad I, I didn't have to teach the Tremor 3. Um, before I left the schoolhouse, we were still running the Schmidt Benders with the uh, mill dot duplex. And um, I mean, just having them understand mills was kind of a, a heartache. Um, but one thing that I would say, you know, just to expound on um, understanding, okay, once once you understand, okay, I've got a, let's say, six mile an hour gun what I try to do is now think in six mile an hour brackets. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Uh, and again, this, this is going for, you know, going back to, let's say, um, you know, cause Kalen and I are coming from the training aspect that we're shooting full size bodies, right. Mm -hmm. uh, unless he's partially exposed. So doing a quick, 
formula in my head just like that, especially if I've got 18 to 20 inches of space, right? Um, left to right. Um, you know, if now he's, if now if wind is 12 miles an hour, I can just multiply by two my range, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of yep. what you're talking about with the linear. Yep. So, okay, if he's at 500 yards um, and it's 12 miles an hour, you know, my, my hold is now one mil, not 0.5. Mm -hmm. Same thing. If it, if it bounced up to 18 miles an hour, same thing. I'm just going to multiply by three. Yep. Right. So it's now 1.5. Uh, so that's why I really like, you know, understanding, um, what your gun number is. Um, and so that now you can start thinking in the, those, uh, you know, six, 12, 18 monarch brackets. And, and that's why a lot of times people say that, you know, when you start off with the 308, you become a really good wind caller. Um, because now you're, you're really thinking every four mile an hour, uh, mm -hmm. four mile an hour bracket. Um, so, you know, one thing in for, this is how I do it in my head. It's like, okay, well, what if, what if, what if you're at six miles an hour? Um, you can either, you can either plus two or what I would do is I multiply one and a half. I do one and a half. Yep. Is that what you do? Yep. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So one and a half, or if it's, you know, if it's a seven miles an hour, if, if I'm running a six mile an hour or, or sorry, if it's a seven mile an hour and it's, you know, um, at that point I'm just, you know, multiplying by two minus 0.1 or whatever mm -hmm. in my head. And then, you know, uh, one thing, if you're listening to this, uh, please do not take your quick wind and create a chart out of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, there's, I would see it when I was teaching it all the time. And if you're listening to this and you're one of my students, you're probably laughing right now because you know, I yelled at you for it. It's like, if you build a chart, build a chart from actual ballistic data yeah. to have to reference from, right? Yep. The quick wind is, is, is meant for you to reference without, or to do without the aid of reference. Yep. And, and that's the thing, like, if you don't, if you're constantly looking at an arm board for your wind data, you're not going to learn this form. You're not going to yeah. learn this quick. It's yeah. just not going to happen. You have to actually apply it. And so what we're trying to do is create a shooter that is independent of technology. And that's something that, that I've seen over the years progress. Um, we've become far too reliant on technology, uh, far, far too reliant. And so, um, another example is, uh, you know, like the, we talked about the wind stuff, the wind dots, then we had to move into, all right, let's talk about the 12 inch drill. Well, before I can talk about the 12 inch drill, I have to, exp I have to get these guys to understand what does a trajectory look like? Where, what's going on with the projectile? We need to talk about maximum point blank range. We need to talk about optimum point blank zero, and then we need to discuss what danger space is because essentially that's what's going on with the 12 inch drill. The 12 inch drill is essentially a quick mill relation formula to establish a hasty range to a target so that I can put a minute of man hit onto a man sized target. Um, and I, I do have some, I do have some reservations about it. You know, the 12 inches, the 12 inch works because of the math. The math is far more clean with 12 inches. You can try to do it with 18 inch targets, but the math is not nearly as clean. Um, but with 12 inch targets, the idea is that, you know, hey, um, on the battlefield, if I can identify a target 
um, from shoulder to top of head. That's an average of 12 inches. Okay. Fair enough. Um, you know, that, that's, that's good in concept. My experience in combat was largely in, uh, in urban environment where things are happening extremely fast. And I'm not saying that I could or I couldn't, but the chances of me being able to get an accurate range or an accurate mill reading um, to within a tenth of a mill, it's not that easy to do, especially if you're especially if you're in an active gunfight. Now, if I'm just if if people are just kind of walking around milling about, um, that's a different that's a different story altogether. But like running targets or targets that are dashing across a street or a very narrow opening, your chances of getting an accurate mill reading from that are slim to none. So what it is, is just, it's another way to, um, to try to put another tool in the box. And so what this drill does, um, is basically state, uh, again, you're trying to interpret your data to come up with a constant. And so, um, I, when I was learning how to do this, it, it, again, it, I needed to see a pattern. It was very difficult for me to do this because I even called Rudy. I was like, Rudy, I know you shoot this drill a lot. Um, can you do me a favor and teach this to me? So that way I can perhaps pick something up that I'm not seeing. Um, because I needed to, I understood it, but I also needed to understand how to teach it. And so Rudy, uh, Rudy walked me through it a little, he basically just walked the dog through the thing. And I was like, Oh, he said something that clicked. And I was like, okay, now I get it. I understand. Um, okay. That's super easy. That's, that's really, really simple. Putting mindfulness behind the rifle and lower yes. your ego to, to, to call someone and be like, Hey, explain this to me, which I do to you, which I, you know, do with you all the time, which is awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was cool to hear you talk about that, you know, reaching out to the instructors because there's not too many people that would do that. Right. It'd be, they just kind of bite their own ego and be like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just spit this out the way I can. Yeah. <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah, that's, and when you're in the business of communicating information, that ain't the way to go. You're not, and you're not, you're not helping anyone by doing that. You know, you are just, you are just creating more confused shooters. Um, you know, that, you know, you know, although your intent might be well, you're actually doing a disservice to them. Um, so that is, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, 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 you brought that up. Um, I, I, this might be a, like a, a step backwards real quick, but you, you brought up clean math. Um, we were talking about the quick win formula or not the, I shouldn't say the, the gun mile, mile per hour in mills for guys that are running minutes. I haven't figured out clean math for minutes yet for, for yes. uh, uh, and, and that's a, that's a plus one uh, for going to mill radians is having that uh, understanding of having a gun number and, and mm-hmm. having that maths be so clean uh, there's not nothing like that for minutes of angle. So yeah. that's why I'm a big advocate in terms of simplicity. Um, when you're under, when you, once you've understand angles and you've, you completely blocked out understanding what inches are and what your inches are translation down range. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm a big advocate for mill radians. Yeah. Mills are just smaller numbers too. They're smaller whole numbers. Whereas yep. like, you know, um, minute of angle, the, the number, the number to achieve the same angular unit of measure is just larger. And so therefore that means that the, the, the quick formulas and things like that, they're, they don't really, they don't translate, um, as nearly as cleanly. If, if any of them, there's very few that actually yeah. translate cleanly. 
Um, so, ba- so like, uh, for instance, Miller's right. If I've got at base 10. So if I get, if I give you, if I give you 17 dimes, how many, di- how many in value, how many dimes do you have? 17 dimes. Yeah. In value. How much, how many, how much money do you have? A dollar 70. Okay. If I gave you 17 quarters, how much money do you have? Yeah. That's like, <laughs> right? I got to break out a pen for that. And that is the difference between mill radians yes. and MOA. Exactly. Perfect. That's a great, that's, that, that's really all that needs to be said right there. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so getting those guys to understand the 12 inch drill and then being able to, to, to how to teach what the constant is that again, you're looking for patterns. You're looking for the patterns and trying to figure out, um, what, how to teach that. And so like with their 300 wind mags, um, their, their base number is nine. Whereas with the M110 SASs, their base number is 10.5. So what that means is if I mill out one of those targets at, um, let's just say I mill out a a target, a 12 inch tall target at 0.7 for the 300 wind mag, I have to complete the nine, which means what it, that tenth of a mil of 0.7, that now turns into a whole number of seven. And then in order to complete nine, I have to add two. Adding two, that two now becomes your mill hold. I know you're, you're laughing and it's I'm, like, I'm, I, because I know, right. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I know <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to give our students the benefit of the doubt that are probably listening and driving. They were like, just raise the eyebrow. Like, what? Yeah. Did, what? What kind yeah. of sorcery did Kalen just say? Yeah. All right. and, and 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 guys, if you guys are driving, which I know a lot of you guys are doing, you know, when you guys listen to our podcast, this is something that hopefully you're you're like, you know, having in your head or even putting in your notes. Like, okay, I need to I need to re-listen to this when I'm back at home. Yeah. And I have, you, you know, you need to be able to write this down, right? Because, yep. um, you know, that's what you know, Kalen. Um, had these guys do it in the first place, you know, talking about earlier in his podcast, how he had uh, his guys write these, these numbers down. Cause the only way, especially if you're not good at numbers, the only way you guys are going to be able to see this is if you write it down. Yes. So, um, you know, so from my understanding, um, the, the 300 word mag, like you said, is a, is a nine, the, the basis nine. Right. Yep. Um, and so if I'm measuring something out, 12 inches, right? Down range. And I get 0.7. Okay. So now that 0.7, I move my desk point over to, for it to be a seven. So in order for me to complete the nine, if in order for me to engage that target that I just measured at 0.7, I need to hold two mils over because he, that tells me he's roughly in the, uh, 300 and, um, you know, eight, um, maybe like, 400 to 450 yard space. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. Just, yeah. For, cause again, guys, that's all going to change based upon your, uh, your muzzle velocity, your, your bullets efficiency through the air. So as an example, like what Phil was saying, um, now if we take that to a 308, now I'm not completing the nine, I'm trying to complete the 10.5. So if I mill that individual out at 0.7 mils, we move the decimal point, it turns into a whole mil or a whole number of seven. What do I need to add to seven to complete 10.5? 3.5. 3. 3.5, yep. So now my mill hold is not two, my mill hold for that particular target is 3.5. 
So it's one of those things where like, once you learn the math, you're like, hmm, okay, well, that's, I can do that with any reticle. I can do that with any reticle as long as I understand, you know, what the concept of all this is. Can you do this on a, if, so like, um, uh, for our competitors out there, guys that, you know, don't have like full size zip to, you know, to shoot at, um, if he was measuring something at, you know, a 12 inch plate at whatever, mm-hmm. would he still be able to hit that target? You know, no. at 12 inch? It, it, it's cause yeah, it, it's meant to be vertically forgiving. Correct. Yes. That's the point of the, the drill. Yeah. So for you guys that are out there that that are like, Oh, I could use that for competition stuff, uh, which you probably wouldn't ever use because you're always going to get distances to targets. This is a this is more along the lines for sniper stuff. I'm trying to put a hole in a body that is what we call minute of man, which is approximately 20 inches to 25 inches tall. So like we were having these guys do it on 12 inch plates to reinforce the drill. And when we would actually shoot at those plates and I would tell them, hey, if you miss either slightly high or slightly low, don't beat yourself up over it. You're doing the process correctly. Because if that was a man-sized target, you would have been holding center of mass and you would have achieved a body shot on all of those hits. Um, and, you know, like some of them would get it wrong. Some of them would mill it, mill it at 0.8 instead of 0.7. And, of course, you're going to have a, a, a larger variation in vertical spread that way. So, but the, like rooting the concept is what we wanted to do with this, with this program of instruction. So um, we have that. And then we also discussed, okay, we, we learned the 12 inch drill. Now let's talk about another, another quick formula that we can use to establish a range, um, or establish an elevation hold if we have a range. So there's also, uh, the 1.5 rule, the minus 1.5 rule, uh, the minus 1.5 rule works really well for 308s that are traveling about 2,600 feet a second. And basically what that is, is it says, all right, if I have a target at 400 meters, what is 1.5 from 400? Or I'm sorry, let me me back up. So we're going to take that range in meters and turn it into hundreds. So 400 meters then becomes a four. So if I take 1.5 away from four, what do I get? 1.1. What's that? 1.1. Yeah, four point or one point five from four. Oh, uh, sorry, one point five from four is two and a half. So hold two and a half and shoot. Ah, uh, okay. So it's the exact same thing, only you're that's, using. And, a, and that's a that's a that's a good that's a dope for for uh exactly four fifty. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Four hundred fifty yards. Yeah, that'll generally translate out to about you know uh, with a three hundred eight, it'll translate out of about six hundred meters, and then with a more efficient cartridge like a. Um, with like a 300 wind mag, instead of taking 1.5, you're gonna take two. So if I've got a target at 400 meters, what's two from four, two mils, hold two, shoot. And there is your hasty elevation formula. Does that make Um, sense? Yeah, so, you know, Kalen's been talking to meters. One thing to keep in mind, guys, is the, the military, you know, because it's a NATO, you know, um, you know, we all speak in meters. So like when I was, uh, when I was instructing at cyber school, um, you know, we would, we would have our students mill out the targets in meters. And uh, when I would 
get the range that targets it, it, it would all be in meters. And, and it's not because, Oh, well, Mills, you know, what people say is like, Oh, yeah. Mills translates to centimeters and meters no. a lot better. No, that's no. not the reason why I did that. It's because no. it's more universal. Even, you know, when, when you're reading on a map and stuff like that, uh, you know, we, we, uh, talk about our values in clicks and kilometers and, and, and whatever. Um, uh, but yeah. And, you know, I think this will trans, this will kind of roll into, um, you know, Kaylin, you talking about understanding, Hey, this drill is not meant for, uh, you know, if I precision. measure 12 inch, yeah. Precision, yeah, right. It's, it's talking about minute of a man. Okay. Um, and this will kind of translate into, I think our last topic here, uh, before we end this podcast, uh, I want to talk about it was acceptable site picture, yeah. right. And understanding that, you know, to make the translation between competitive pistol shooters, even, even competitive rifle shooters, right. When you look at, um, you know, I, I follow a bunch of guys on my, on my feed that are phenomenal pistol shooters. Um, but they're not shooting one inch pasties at three or five yards. Right. Right. They're shooting a zones, B zones or C zones. And sometimes maybe, you know, a few headshots in there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, obviously they're still end state is what uh, they the, need to the, get. A, they need to get a hit on a specific size target. Yes. Right. So, um, you know, understanding that when there is speed involved on a very um, large target, right. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I'm not trying to, stack two holes as as close as possible I can, you know, on that target, mm-hmm. especially if it's going to take me in two minutes to do it. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's you so, are, you are wasting time there at that point, especially when you have a minute of man to worry about, like I should be able to put, you know, let's say at 400 yards, two rounds on that target in less than 10 seconds. Yep. You know, assuming that I already have the range of the target. Yeah. Case in point. Um, the <laughs> meatball match of the century, right? That last, that last, uh, JC steel match that we shot. And, um, uh, it was, it was quite, it was probably like a year ago. I think it was, um, they had a PRS skill stage with a barricade, um, 400 yard target, 16 inch round plate at 400 yards. And that thing is a freaking manhole cover. It's giant. And, that was the tiebreaker stage. So, Hey, you go as fast as you possibly can. Well, I know that that rifle that I'm shooting at, at, uh, at 400 yards is capable of printing a sub two inch group. So I know that in my mind and there was no wind out there that day either. So it's like, Hey, if that reticle is inside two inches on that target, I'm pressing the trigger period. End of story. I shot that drill clean in like 42 seconds and it was like, it's fast. And the only reason that it's fast is because I had an, my acceptable sight picture for that massive target. All I had to do was make sure that the reticle was inside the target within at least two inches, because I know that gun shoots really, really tight. Well, that's how you shoot. That's how you understand how to shoot quickly and understand what you can get away with. And this is what we were trying to get to communicate to these Marines is, is understanding, Hey man, if all I'm doing is getting a body shot, that is your acceptable sight picture. And then you can translate this 
like this hasty elevation, uh, this hasty elevation formula, whether you're acquiring that range by the, the 12 inch drill or whether it's um, a target reference point and the minus 1.5 rule, you're still the acceptable sight picture for a man sized target is extremely generous. And all we're doing is trying to put a hole in somebody to make them stop what they're doing. Yep. You're, you're disturbing their OODA loop essentially. Yep. There you go. Perfect. Yep. And that's really what, uh, that's really what, what an acceptable sight picture is. And I, and, and you know, I learned that, um, from uh, again, like you said, man, pistol shooters talking to pistol shooters that are extremely proficient and it's, it comes into understanding how to change gears and changing gears means what type of sight picture focus do I need to have? Do I need to have a hard front sight focus or do I need to have a soft front sight focus or can I just get away with a point and shoot because I've got a massive 18 inch square plate at 10 yards that all I got to do is get two hits on before I can move. Yo, if all I got to do is get two hits on an 18 inch square plate at 10 yards, man, I'm doing like, I'm doing like a sub one second split from a draw because the thing is a freaking giant doorway in front of me. So, but then if, then if you're going to tell me I've got to transition to the very next target, a headshot at seven yards, then, whoa, I've got to drop a bunch of gears, slow way down, get a hard front sight focus and get a good shot off because that is the acceptable sight picture for that target size. Um, look at, uh, think about for my competitive shooters that are listening, uh, think about a KYL rack. How much time do you spend on that last target versus the very, let's say the first two targets, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, you know, especially on a, on a, let's say, you know, non windy day, it's like, you know, I, I would say that when you take your first shot, you probably spend more, a lot more time on that first shot analyzing after you shoot where you, where exactly that bullet landed on that target to mm-hmm. figure out your wind call before you move over. Yep. By the time you get to that small ass target, guess how much time you're spending before you're actually breaking your shot. Yep. Level, right. Exactly. It's the same, same exact concept. Yep. And it's, it's, uh, it, it, once you, once you get that programmed into your brain, it's going to change your perception on targets. Yep. Big time. So especially those, you know, matches now are shot anywhere between 300 and what, seven, yeah, seven, a, somewhere the, in there. The medium range, because a lot of guys are, you know, always throwing positionals in there. Um, the medium range is probably about 700 yards. And then, you know, you have your st- dedicated long range stages where you're going out to, you know, 800 to 13. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but those are, I mean, those are, I would say, dedicated. Like uh, the match that I just shot in Best in Texas, <laughs> we had um, two stages that went beyond 1,000 yards. Um, you know, uh, two dedicated prone, one kind of modified prone off of a, off of like a, off of a platform, you yeah. know, we were just, uh, we were standing and, uh, the back was uh, modified prone, but, um, you know, that's kind of the direction of, um, these matches, which is awesome because again, like Frank, um, kind of talked about Frank and I and Nick Bazone talked about our last podcast, like those positional matches really, you know, uh, are supposed to resemble, you know, if you're, Again, when you go into a match, it's all about perspective, right? It's like, yes, it could be a game to you or it could be a, a really good training value. And, you know, when I go into a very positional heavy match, I'm thinking urban environment, mm-hmm. right? Like, Hey, this is the type of way I'm going to employ myself in an urban type environment. Everything's going to be quick. Everything's going to be shot off my belly. I need to be in and I need to be out uh, very quickly. Um, and not only in and out, but still being provide, uh, providing, accurate, precise fires on, you know, uh, partially exposed targets, right? Cause 
you know, when you're shooting in an urban environment, you, you know, unless you guys got, you got those guys coming completely out of the alleyway and just, you know, just guns blazing. Most of the time they're just popping their head out. It's a, it's a flash target, man. It's like, you know, if a, if a dude presents a full frontal, um, like as we would talk about it in, you know, hunting world, a broadside shot for, for a sniper, a full frontal would be the equivalent of a broadside shot. That's only because that dude is making a mad dash to another piece of cover and you're only going to see him for like two, three seconds yeah. um, unless he's not smart and natural selection is going to take over at that point in time. And he's not going to be a factor anymore because it's an easy target. That's low hanging fruit. But the majority of the time you're seeing dudes sprinting across, you know, 30 foot wide streets that are extremely narrow. A 30 foot wide street is they're They're narrow. And, um, you have almost zero time to be able to engage that moving target. So you're constantly having to be prepared for that flash sight picture and understand what an acceptable sight picture is so that you can make a hit. You, you guys want to, uh, for our audience listening, if you guys haven't, um, watched this already, um, if you want a YouTube, an amazing shot done by one of our, our peers, actually, uh, I think it was one of Kalen's student. He's a legend in our community, uh, silver star recipient ethan place you know what shot i'm talking about yep he shoots that dude on like a dead sprint through an alleyway at like 600 yards away um in a headshot uh you know so google that i think it's on youtube i think he did on the history channel or something like that but mm -hmm. uh he explains you know um that shot and, and they even recreate it um which is which i think is pretty cool yeah so yeah, it's uh, all these things, guys, all like this is what we're talking about when it comes to the lifestyle aspect of being a sniper and a shooter. Um, I kind of touched on it a little bit in the beginning, like saying, hey, if I took if I took 10 shooters and put them in front of me and looked at them and said, hey, I want you to I want you to be able to calculate or first and foremost, tell me the difference between a G1 and a G7 BC or Hey, calculate up what's your, what's your optimal point blank zero for your particular rifle for a 12 inch tall target, or what's your, what, what is your danger space at 500 yards for your cartridge? These are things that, um, especially for snipers, like this is the stuff that you need to be a creature of. This is the stuff that you need to know. And, um, a lot of people are like, ah, that's like geek stuff. And you know, that's, uh, I don't need to know that. Well, yes, you do. You do need to know that. And the other thing um, that I'm seeing a lot of nowadays is the inability to function without the use of that technology, the inability to function without the use of a Kestrel. And I think that would be a great, I think that's a great segue into our next podcast, Phil. What do you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's I think uh, the next podcast, um, I'm, I'm going to make sure I have uh, other, my, my phone on me with my Ford off or my Kestrel and, Maybe as we're, uh, we're talking about it, we can kind of thumb through it. Yeah. Um, Technology. I need, stop, I need to stop smacking my lips like that. I, I did that all <laughs> the last podcast and like, it would be annoying. <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> Everybody has one of those little, little pet things that they do. I know. Well, so, it doesn't help that I, I do it like right close to the mic. So it's like, it would be like these random spikes of audio. Like, <sighs> it's, 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 it's really hard to listen to our own podcast. Like it's, I listen to maybe, you know, you know, I have the general because I'm taking notes of what we're writing down. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, for the most part, I, I mean, it, I listen to probably about fifty percent of our podcast. Yeah, I like to listen to them again just because yeah. um, it's uh, it keeps 
it, it helps me identify, okay, well, did we miss something or yeah. did we cover everything in its entirety or uh, was there some gaps in there that we need to fill in and maybe make yeah. mention of in the next podcast? So I do listen to them and, you know, I think, uh, you know, now that we both I think, got I think good it, mics. I need, yeah, yeah, I think I did. Oh, I, I, I definitely noticed that was the, uh, the mic difference. Yeah. Now that we got the, now that we, now that we have the mics, it's, uh, it's cleaned up on the audio side and, um, it's, uh, it's nice and crisp. And then the same thing, we, we moved away from using Skype and now we're using zoom, which I think has like 10 times better audio quality than, than, uh, than the Skype phone call does. So we're going to continue to use the zoom, uh, feature that way you guys can get the cleanest audio that you can. And I want to wrap this up by saying, Holy shit, huge thank you to you guys. We broke 10,000 downloads in less than three weeks. That, so we, so um, Cassandra did some research and she found out that that's like in the top three or top 4% of podcasts. That's awesome. That is like phenomenal. And the only, the only thing that we have to thank for that is you guys as yes, the listeners. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, subscribe, tell your friends. And also guys, tell us what you want to hear. Um, we've been really good. Uh, the comments on Podbean at the beginning have been fantastic. So we're going to continue to answer those. Uh, hit us up on social media. Let us know what you want. Uh, let us know what you want to cover. If you have a topic or something, uh, let us know. And um, we haven't done it yet, but I'd like to start doing little 15-minute, 10-minute segments midweek or somewhere in there about question and answers. So like if you have something that is a little bit more in depth than just a straight up social media post or a social media answer, we're going to try to use this outlet to, to help answer those questions for you guys. So thank you so much for that. It's just, it's humbling. It really is humbling. So we appreciate all of you. Yeah, guys, I, I think, you know, the biggest thing that, um, the, I would say the, the, the best way to thank us, you know, if you guys do want to thank us is by just sharing our, our, uh, our podcast, um, and, and sharing our, our content with, um, other people so that we can just get, just get the word out there. Um, you know, if you guys remember our first podcast, you know, our, our goal is to bring awareness to the sniper community, um, and what we really do versus what Hollywood, what most people think we do because of Hollywood. I mean, I, I was just down in Texas, um, two weeks ago, uh, uh, uh with, uh, some students of mine and, um, you know, they, they were all pulling out the, like the shooter, uh, <laughs> references with Marky Mark. Oh God. And, uh, you know, that movie came out before I was a sniper and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I was, I was, I was like, man, that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. And sure. then I became a sniper and then I rewatched it and I was like, man, I, I <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I don't even know what to say anymore. It, it's yeah. still a great movie for entertainment value. But like when you start looking at, you know, certain things, you know, you start hearing certain things mm -hmm. about that movie. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing I'll say, um, you know, for those that have watched it as a big fan of that movie, uh, you know, again, I'm a big fan of uh, Mark Wahlberg, but, um, in his acting style, everyone has his reservations because of, you know, his stance, whatever. But anyways, um, <clears throat> if you look at, remember the beginning of the movie when he's shooting, the, when he pulls the sasser out, starts shooting the, the, a helo with the sasser mm -hmm. he has to rack the bolt after every shot yeah and the reason he has to rack the bolt every shot is because there's not enough powder in the blanks to be able to cycle the bolt completely yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a it's a um short recoiling <laughs> rifle 
this i had a student i had a student that was doing that after every shot we were doing the sasser shoot this is a funny story to end <laughs> he was he was shooting the rifle and then racking the bull after every shot and he has a pile of of rafis live rafis next like right next to the gun <laughs> we're just like what are you doing and he's like i go where are all those bullets coming from he's like i don't know they must be coming out of the ground uh, they were they must have been there <laughs> it's like no you're making that pile of bullets stop racking the bolt like it's an automatic loading rifle that's a uh, that's awesome <laughs> so hey i think we're gonna break this podcast up guys because we definitely have a lot more to, to cover um so for the next episode look forward to talking about um maximum point blank optimum point blank zero uh getting a little bit deeper into the acceptable site picture and then i had one more note here phil uh, like knowing your dope out to 600 and hard data. Yep. Sweet. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get that one uh, knocked out for you guys too. So stay tuned. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, share if you like it, you know, share with your buddies and uh, keep your face on the gun. Until next time. Face on the gun. All right, guys, shoot well until next time.